Welcome to the morning community of Northridge Vineyard. Our deepest desire is that you will encounter Jesus as you listen in to our morning gathering. If you'd like to find out more about us, check out our website, northridge.org.au forward slash mornings. What a privilege to be back here. It does feel like the house is full again this morning, which is nice. But you know, all the visitors come during the holidays. So uh, that often is the case, which is just... Uh, always fun, because you spend a lot of your time saying, oh, it's so good you're here this morning. It's different to what it's normally like, but you're welcome, you know, it's really cool. Um, we've, uh, we've had some holiday. I hope you guys, all of you, have had a bit of a break. Um, we, we had a bit of fun uh, going camping with our four kids. I think it's the first time we've been camping with all four of them, um, which we really enjoyed. We went up to a little seaside sort of town up uh, just south of Port Macquarie. Um, but, you know, one of the things that was a bit, a bit odd was we didn't feel particularly welcomed by the locals there. I don't know if you've ever been up to a sort of small little village and you, you're aware you're joining the, the, the holiday makers uh, and you feel great about being there, but you wonder, I wonder if they like us being here. I'm not sure if they do. We had quite a lot of road rage while we were up in this tiny... I won't say what it was, because it would sound disparaging. But it was this beautiful little village and uh, town, and uh, we had more road rage there than I think that we've experienced here in Sydney. So I think there was just kind of tension with all these holidaymakers coming. We also had the fun... Thank you so much. We also had the fun of... Um, being on a camping ground, and if you've ever done that, this is a bit of a new experience for me, to be on a camping ground that was in high demand. When I was young, we'd grow up, we'd go to the middle of nowhere, and so we were, you know, we, we were brave to even try and pitch a tent, whereas this was, you know, really high demand, it was, uh, everything was sort of sorted for you, it was really easy camping, really, it wasn't really camping, it was kind of glamping, but um, one of the things that, that really surprised me was how the other campers that had been there for 15, 17, 30 years every year weren't particularly thrilled about new people joining the campsite. Um, and at one particular time, we took a walk around the campsite having a look at some other sites, thinking, oh, I wonder where we'll go next year. We met one couple who were like, are you thinking of looking at these places? And they weren't particularly pleased about the idea of us moving in next to them. And it was, it was just a really quite a strange feeling um, that... You know, we didn't feel, surprisingly, we didn't feel particularly welcome. Um, and that is, has been a contrast, really, to some of the stories we've heard over the last four weeks, um, which has been beautiful to hear people's stories of um, coming to the Lord um, and, and especially coming here and, and being welcomed, being welcomed in, uh, feeling perhaps the opposite, hopefully, of what we felt at times on our holiday. Um, you know, we, we, we love inviting people to share stories uh, at different times throughout the year. And one of the reasons that we do that is because everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to play. So what that means for us is, you know, we need to hear from each other to know we've all been there. We need to know uh, and hear each other's stories. And as we do that, it's such a huge encouragement, isn't it? That we go, oh, yeah, you've been there. And now I understand that you understand where I'm coming from. Um, and we're reminded that we're one, we're one body in that. And I particularly loved hearing stories about how this, this community over the years has uh, drawn people in 
actively into relationship, into, uh, with, intentionally, with open hearts, has welcomed people from all sorts of different backgrounds and circumstances coming and making this home. Uh, and I loved hearing about some of the just little acts of kindness that people experienced when they came here. Um, whether it was, you know, inviting people, being invited around for lunch, or just little things that made them feel really valued and loved. And can I just encourage you, there's a beautiful heritage of that here in this church. Um, and, and a lot of that's to do with Phil and Kath's leadership over the years um, and uh, the way that God has blessed us and moved in us. Um, and we have felt that too. So you guys are great at this. You've done so well in welcoming and loving people and making sure that the outsider doesn't feel an outsider anymore. Uh, and, and that's a bit of what we're going to look at this morning because I think this year, I believe that Jesus wants to stir us again to, to do what he did and to actively go after the outsider. That's something that I feel like he's stirring in us. And we're going to look at a passage in Matthew 9. Um, in a moment, it's uh, maybe you just grab your Bibles out. Um, it will be up on the screen in a minute. But we're going to look at Matthew 9, uh, verses 10 through to 13. And, and the context of this passage that we're going to look at, not yet, thank you, the context of this passage, and it would be great if you do have a Bible, one of the good things about <clears throat> a physical one is you can kind of look at more more passages all at once. And, and in some ways, we're looking through chapter 8, and we're going to focus in on chapter 9. But the context that we, we have in this passage of, uh, in, in uh, chapter 9 is that in chapter 8, Jesus has um, interacted in, in so many really significant ways with people, bringing his kingdom. And there's, there's a few that really jumped out to me. One is that he, he heals a leper, he heals a man who is almost the very definition of excluded. He heals a man who has um, a, a disease that forces him, by the Jewish law, to walk around shouting out, unclean, unclean. You know, who is excluded, forced to live in a leper colony. A, a leper sort of, you know, almost like a prison. And... Uh, and he comes and he reaches out and restores this leper. He, he also, um, and in, in this, in Matthew, it's actually two men, and in, in other places it's one man, but he, he comes and he releases a demon-possessed man um, who is living in the tombs, and, uh, and, and, and probably not Jewish, and reaches out and, uh, and frees this man from from bondage to Satan. And he, he, uh, it's just a beautiful picture. Uh, he sends the demons out into the pigs, and they, uh, <laughs> that's not beautiful, but he, and they run and, and into, the, into the pit. But the restoration, the freedom of this, these men or this man is just a beautiful picture of the way that once again Jesus reaches out to the outsider and draws them in. And, and we're going to look at this passage, but another one uh, that's just sort of just happened before we get to this, 
this passage in chapter 9 is that he meets a centurion. You may remember this. He meets a centurion whose servant is deathly ill. And the centurion says, no, 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 don't come to my house. You just say the word. And he's astonished by this man's faith. And we're going to look at that in a, in a bit later. And the servant is healed. And so as we come to this passage, you know, Matthew has been really careful to show us how Jesus ministers to those not considered worthy of God's love. He's, he is tipping the, the paradigm up on its head as he reaches out to people. So we're going to read this together. Matthew 9, verse, reading from verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Lord, we pray this morning that your word would just penetrate into our hearts. We, just, we, we acknowledge, Holy Spirit, even now you are, you are lifting these words up and kind of penetrating our hearts with them. I'm just going to read that, the second half of that again. I want you just to allow the Spirit just to draw out from it what he wants to say to you this morning. On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. It kind of seems at first reading like Jesus is using two categories. You know, if I was to ask you to put your hand up if you're in the sinner category, I wonder how you feel. If I asked you to put your hand up to, if you're in the righteous category... I won't. Don't worry, I won't embarrass you. But it stirs up a response in you because, you know, we instinctively know that there's something more going on here than just Jesus kind of categorizing the two camps. He's doing something here because, you see, Jesus is calling out these Pharisees on the way they see the world. We call that the worldview. The way they see the world. He is challenging it. Because they saw the world in terms of the sinner and the righteous, the worthy and the unworthy. They thought that God only allowed the righteous, the right people into the club. It's basically how they saw it. And for them, as the most senior sort of righteous people, their job was to help God ensure that only the right people were allowed in. Right? And, you know, the truth of, of the kingdom, the truth that Jesus was challenging with, them with is this is the message of the kingdom of God. That God is calling the outsiders to come in. And our job, my job, your job as the agents of the kingdom is to have hearts that yearn with compassion 
for the outsider. That's what Jesus was challenging the Pharisees with. Because when they, when they come and they grumble, I wonder if they felt like, hey, why are we not invited to this dinner? What's going on? There's a party and surely we should be right in the center of that. And yet, look, here's Jesus. Who's he hanging out with? That's not right. And they grumble about being excluded. And Jesus expresses God's deepest desire for them. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He quotes a scripture from Hosea 6. And if you know anything about Hosea, it is one of God's most, uh, what's the word? Harshest criticism of Israel's leaders. That they have been so unfaithful to him. It's a, it's a terrible prophecy in many ways. The verse continues in Hosea. It says, Don't burn more offerings. Acknowledge me as God. I desire mercy, not sacrifices. Above all, Jesus is looking for hearts surrendered to him. He's looking for a devotion he says to the Pharisees, I'm looking for devotion to God that's expressed in mercy to others. That's what I'm looking for. Not keeping far away from those who are unclean. And the reason that they got this wrong is they had missed what the kingdom of God is. I want us to look at another passage a little bit before. And like I said, we're coming back to this a story of, or account of Jesus healing the centurion's servant. So we're, we're going to look again now at Matthew 8, 5 to 13. And uh, like I say, we, we, we find Jesus saying um, to the centurion, well, would you like me to come and heal your servant? And the centurion says to him, now, I'm a man under authority. I know how this thing works. You know, I say, go, and one, my servant goes here and there. And all you need to do is say the word, and my servant will be healed. You, won't, you don't need to come to my house. And Jesus turns to everyone who's following him. So he, he sort of stops speaking to the man, and he turns to the crowd that are watching this interaction, probably with bated breath and going, it's a Roman centurion. This isn't the enemy. Yet, what's he going to do? And he says, truly, I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. If you were a Pharisee hearing that, I wonder what you would feel. I've not, heard, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith as this. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, Jesus, he delights in the faith of the centurion. One of the, thing, one of the things that gets God's heart pumping fast, that delights his, you know, his character, if you like, it just gets him excited, is faith. That's one of the things that gets God so excited 
that pleases him like nothing else. In fact, throughout scriptures, we see it referred to as, as being credited to people as righteousness. Because it's just so precious to God. And I think the question we, we need to ask ourselves is, do we cherish faith in others in the same way that God does? Do we, do we get excited when we see just sparks of faith in our friends or in our colleagues or family? Do we yearn for that in the way that God does? Because God gets really excited about it. And, you know, that's something that the Pharisees were missing. They should have been celebrating the way that people were turning to Jesus, but instead they were they had missed the whole dynamic of the kingdom of God. And I think that's, you know, there's, there is a challenge for us as the people of God, as the church, to put ourselves under the microscope, as uncomfortable as that might be, and say, are we like the Pharisees? Do we be careful that we don't miss what the kingdom of God is about? I wanted to illustrate this a little bit because, um, you know, I think sometimes it's helpful to think about this visually. And we're going to look at a couple of uh, models, sociological models, that in some ways explain a little bit of first how the Pharisees thought the kingdom worked and how Jesus is talking about it. So I'm just going to ask Liz if you could put that first slide up. So this is what we call a bounded set. You may have seen this before. We've often talked about this in the vineyard, but it's good uh, to, as a bit of a reminder because this is kind of how the Pharisees thought the kingdom of God works. Um, the boundary separates those who are inside from those who are outside. Everyone on the inside is accepted and loved and cared for. And welcomed. And outsiders can only come in if they change their behavior and their beliefs. And the leader's job is to ensure that everyone inside is safe and warm, clean, and there's plenty of time for food and for friendship. If you, if you go on and quickly on to the next slide, so you just get a bit of a summary of that. Oh, no, go back one for me, Liz. That would be great. And then one forward. Let's see if that works. That's all right. Well, we'll go on to the next one. That's great. So the, the, the dynamic of the kingdom that Jesus is talking about is very different. And it's to do with the fact that there isn't this boundary around who's in and who's out, which which for them, and I think for us sometimes, is hard to understand. But basically, there is no dividing line between the us and them. Everyone is loved and accepted and welcomed. And people are compelled towards the center by Jesus. And involvement in this centered set is based on two things. One is how close you are to the center. 
and what direction you're moving. You see how there's a bunch of different directions. Because the reality of our lives is that we, we move constantly, sometimes closer towards Jesus in our devotion and in our commitment to him, in our openness of our hearts, and other times we move the other way. And we, we've all been there. We've all been in that direction. And sometimes church is really messy because it's an expression of the kingdom where sometimes people are moving one way and other times people are moving the other. And one of the things that we have to be careful of is we don't start drawing boundaries around at what point did they get in and what point did they go out, right? And remember that we've all done that, done that motion. When Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners, was he telling the Pharisees that the kingdom wasn't for them because they were the righteous? Was he, was he even saying, yes, yes, you are uh, right in God's eyes, whilst there are other people who aren't? Was he affirming their paradigm? I don't think he was doing that at all. I think he was, he was flipping their whole concept, that bounded set concept of the kingdom on its head and saying, it's not like that at all. You've missed it. There are no righteous in the way that they thought of. They are, they are all, we are all sinners in that, in that kind of category. But we're all included. And we're all called to enter into the kingdom of God. You know, I want us to have a little think about how do we apply this? How do I apply this? You know, as we've been thinking about this this week, it's really challenging. But I feel like it's something that God's stirring in us as a church, as a church community, and going, will you get the kingdom? Because once you get the kingdom, you start getting God's heart for people. But if you miss the kingdom... It's very easy to end up like the Pharisees. One of the things that I've always loved about the vineyard is the way that we hold on to the kingdom of God as a key paradigm, a key kind of... Um, I don't know how to say it other than like a lens. So when we read the scriptures, we, we sort of we choose to, to adopt a lens that says it's about the kingdom of God. And so now I start to interpret those scriptures through that paradigm. Everyone has a paradigm. Everyone has a worldview that they read the scriptures through. And part of our task is to, is to search the scriptures and say, what is that lens that God wants me to use? And as I, one of the reasons I love the kingdom of God paradigm, and can I say, if you haven't, you'll notice it on, in the hallway as you come to church, there's a big welcome to church. And it talks about our values. But at the beginning of that, I should have had a picture of it. At the beginning, it says, we believe that God's beautiful future is breaking into our present reality. That's the kingdom, God's beautiful future. I love it because that paradigm is something that we see in Scripture. But also because every time... I reflect on the kingdom of God, I'm reminded that this Christian walk is not about me. This life 
here that we do together as a church. It's not about me. Let me explain that. It's so easy for me, and I don't know about you, to get caught up in church life, to get caught up in what do I want, the frustrations of the relationships. And then I'm reminded as I, as I reflect on the kingdom that what Jesus is calling me into is so much bigger, so much bigger than what we do here on a Sunday morning. It's so much bigger on which, is this church working for me or not? So much bigger on, even, to be honest with you, it's bigger than, has my friend yet come to faith? It's bigger than the church, guys. And that's really important that we regularly reflect on the kingdom, because otherwise it it does this. And again, we become like the Pharisees. We just think about who's in and who's out. So we're going to spend some time over the next six weeks just reflecting on the kingdom of God. We're going to look at the kingdom of God is like those sorts of statements that Jesus talked about. And we're going to have a think about how do our hearts begin to go outward? How do our hearts yearn with compassion for the outsider like God's does? Um, Because we want to reflect on the kingdom. But also, you know, I, I loved... One of the other ways I really felt like we need to think about applying this is I loved hearing uh, Tim, I'm sorry I didn't mention this to you, Uh, Tim Harding shared his testimony a little while ago and I loved listening to that. And one of the things that he highlighted that I kind of went, yes, is there is a journey of giving God our heart. We can easily get into into the mindset that God needs my strength and my mind, but I'm not sure about my heart. But God needs our hearts if he's going to use us. And so part of this uh, journey is about learning to live from our hearts. I think this means being honest with God about what's going on in our hearts. Uh, For some of you, that's easy. You, you, You do that regularly. But for others... You know, hey, my heart is pretty much locked down. Like, I'm not sure I, I quite know what's going on in my heart. And can I encourage you that the best way to free your heart, to live from that place of your heart, is to go to God and say, you made me. You know how this thing works. You know what, why it's locked down or why I can't really feel in the way that I have a sense you want me to feel. Will you free my heart? And that's one of the reasons why we often spend a fair bit of time saying, Lord, come and fill us, but do what you need to do in our hearts. Because we know that if we try and go without this <laughs> being free and alive, then it, it, it very quickly becomes striving. So we yield our hearts to him. We go and we consider what he means when he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Can I invite you to stand with me? We're just going to pray and allow the Lord to minister to us. Thank you for listening so well this morning. We're going to um, just ask you, Lord, to come. 
now by your Holy Spirit, come and fill us. Come and touch us. Come speak to us.